Imagine you picked up the most important book in the world, a book with words that can transform hearts. Included in this book are highlights and notes in the margin. This is the Notable Podcast, and these are the discussions of twin pastors who share their underlining and highlighting with you. This is Season 7, Life Reframed, a podcast on Ecclesiastes. Good evening, everyone. I am so excited that you're here. And if you're watching this back, then hello. Welcome to the Notable Podcast. I'm here with the Reverend Dr. Timothy Borman, and we are here. Oh, you're doing you that now? <laughs> <laughs> people, when people take out my title, usually they, uh, they're doing it to make fun of me. And now you're doing it. <laughs> Not at all. Not at all. <laughs> Okay. We are we are here tonight, and we want you to hit subscribe uh, here on YouTube. Help us share this. We're, this is brand new. And by the way, do you guys know how hard it is to do this live? It was a lot easier podcasting. If we said something that didn't quite work, we could just delete it. But now it's going to be out there in the world when you do it live. Please do hit subscribe. Um, you can also subscribe on on iTunes and all the other various podcasting platforms. I'm excited for for ten, for what we're digging into here, um, Ecclesiastes chapters one and two. Let's get to it. Well, I just just to add on what you're saying. Um, welcome to everyone who's joining us live. I'm excited to have you. And the best way to take this in, this is a notable podcast, is with an open Bible and with an open heart. And if you're out on a run, taking this in on Apple Podcasts, maybe um, get out your handy Bible app and listen to Ecclesiastes 1, 12, 1 verse 12 through chapter 2, verse 23. That's that's what we're going to be covering tonight. Um, and just to give you, I'm going to be marking this up on, on the screen with you. And I'll, if you're just audio only, I'll try to take you along for the ride as well. But you might when looking at this entire section, and we're calling this podcast "Not Far Away," not far away, and you'll you got to wait to the very end, the 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 sweet sweet end, till we explain why why we came up with that title. But um, we're going to cover, like I said, Ecclesiastes one verse twelve, all the way to two verse twenty three. So this is a massive massive section compared to what we did two weeks ago. When we ha- when we last gave this um, this podcast, and the reason why let, I'm going to tr- see if I can show you why, but this is actually one you might say a rhetorical unit, and I want to show you that um, w- it, you might break it down in your minds in three parts, and I'm just going to mark this up on your page. So verse twelve really it starts the section where he says, I, teachers, so we're moving into first-person language, we'll talk about that more in a little bit, was king over Israel in, in Jerusalem. And he's going to talk about this journey that he has with wisdom. Um, he re- kind of repeats himself again in starting chapter two, where he says, I said to myself. So you can kind of see that first-person pronoun language just coming up. So I kind of see those, those sections together. The NIV breaks them up. Um, you, we, you can see that different ways. 
but here in this first section, he's really giving a summary. This is kind of a summary um, and an introduction to who is going to do this study about what's worthwhile to do under the sun. In the second section, then, he's going to give how he does the study. And he, he's going to get really specific about it. And then that's going to carry through all the way through um, all the way through verse 11 here. Then beginning with verse 12, this is, this is Ecclesiastes 1 verse 12, he's going to give what we might call an assessment. He's going to give an assessment of what did I learn? What is the value of wisdom at all? And then he's going to share one massive problem with, with the whole thing overall. And that's where that's as about as far as we're going to get tonight. Actually, that is as far as we're going to get tonight. That's a little overview of the section that we're going to go, go through tonight, little hot air balloon ride. But I know you, Jonathan, wanted to look through this um, in, with a different lens. Yeah, I, I I hope every I hope everybody was tracking with you. You have Solomon's going to establish his credibility, and we're going to talk about that. Then then he's going to actually do the experiment. We'll talk about that. Then he's going to talk about the results of the experiment. He's going to assess it. And what we don't want to do is lose track of the major literary ideas. And so we're, I'm going to try to put those in front of you and try to keep those in front of you as we go through this. He's asking the question, what is gain in life? The contemporary way of asking is this question is what is what is what is the meaning of life? What what's profitable? What's the advantage? What's what's the gain? So you can actually think of Ecclesiastes one all the way to the end of chapter two as one rhetorical unit there he's he's really asking the same question he poses the question and we talked about this last time in ecclesiastes 1 verse 3 um he, he's going to establish his credentials for answering the question and then he's going to re-ask he really re-asks the question to verse one and we will look at that in, in more more in depth but that's the big question the second thing that you have to keep in mind in terms of literary ideas or literary qualities um, in this scripture are two major themes. The first is that he's going he's gonna to talk about what's under heaven or under the sun. So remember, we, this is something we've been harping on, and we're going to keep harping on it, that he, he is only making human observations here most of the time. Now, he does the transcendent does break in, but most of the time he's just making human observations um, on on a on an anthropological level, or he's not he's not talking about a God view of these things. You can you can see that because that is his his driving beat. So in one verse thirteen, one verse fourteen, two verse three, two verse eleven, two verse seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty, and twenty two. There's your list. Oh, He's I couldn't got, even I couldn't even underline him that fast. Yeah, I was, I was going to. It's the drumbeat. This is how often he's got under heaven and under the sun. The third literary motif or um, theme that you have running through this scripture is that all is vanity. So he's going to say this over and over and over again. And I didn't know, Timothy, that you were underlining. But if you want to underline them, here's I'm trying. Really, I'm just getting a few. I'm picking up a few so that people, people can are, see just people are how seeing prominent. It. Yeah. So it's 113, 21, 
and and 23. So those are the big the big ideas. What's gain? And he's going to evaluate this only under the sun. So we're not talking about from a God's God's eye point of view. And he's obviously sharing with you his assessment all the way through. He's saying all is all is vanity. So this is just a, like like Timothy, the metaphor we're using. This is like your hot air balloon ride over the text. This is what's going on. That's it. Yeah, that's it. And so tonight, what, what we're going to do is kind of follow those themes as and work through them um, and really look at the big ideas. So we're not going to hope to dive into every single little narrow phrase in there, but we really want to take the big ideas. And the first big idea really has to do with what, I, what we outlined here, which is Solomon's credibility. So we're going to really kind of be focusing in on that first part, although we will get into the second part and pull on some of the ideas of, of the study itself to, to talk about his credibility. But one of the things when we, when we think about, like, why should we listen to, to Solomon? Like, who is he to tell us uh, anything at all? That's, that's why we're talking about credibility. There's, there's some knocks against him. And I know we wanted to start there. We'll, we'll look at some of the, the good reasons to listen to him. We got four of them. But what are, Jonathan, take us into some of the knocks against him. Like what, what hurts his credibility with, with us and any of his readers? Well, this, to, to, the problem that, w- that we're going to see and we're going to look at his, his experiment, well, we'll call it an experiment here. The problem is um, he's very, the term we use is, is hedonistic. He's very pleasure seeking. And so the first problem that we have to think about is what, what people call the paradox of, of hedonism. It's, hedonism is, is, is like an addiction. When, when, when you chase happiness, you always need more of it to actually feel happy. So it's, it's kind of like when you take a drug, you, you can't take the same amount. You actually have to keep having more to have the same effect on you. And this is the paradox of, of hedonism. The more that you chase happiness, the less happy you actually are. And so this is, this is part of the, the problem that, that we have going on here. Yeah. So it's like, um, if once you jumped out of an airplane, in order to get the same rush that you had jumping out of the airplane, maybe you got to go a little bit higher or you got to go to space or, or something like that. And this is, this is the paradox of hedonism. And look, to, just to be a little bit critical of, of Solomon here, because we said we were going to be, um, he should have known better. This is to think that he's going to find meaning and pleasure is, and we'll talk about this more as we go, that, that is a, frankly, that's some um, foolishness. <laughs> it's just, it's just, you're not going to find, you're not going to find meaning there. These are, it's kind of like going into a closet of old worn out toys and then saying, well, maybe I can get a little bit more enjoyment out of these things. And it's, and it's not going to work. It's just not going to work. It's, it's I, I love a C.S. Lewis quote that I shared with my church. He said this, that it's kind of like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum um, because he cannot imagine 
what is meant by the offers at, of a holiday at sea. Like there is nothing you think there is nothing else. So I'm just going to play in the mud all the time. And that, that's kind of the idea when really there's something so much sweeter, but I guess Solomon just got to try it. So that would be, it's the paradox of hedonism. Um, and he really went at it. Even historically, we can, we can show that. Right. So listen to this lineup. I just want to read the text and I'm going to read it rather quickly, but I want to get it in front of us. He says, I'm going to test you with pleasure to find out what is good. I'm in verse one of chapter two. And then he's, he's, he does his list. Laughter, I said, is madness. And what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine. So there's, there's a second thing. He tried laughter and he tried wine and embracing folly. My mind still guiding me with wisdom. Um, I'm going to jump to verse four. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself, planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired male and female servants and a harem as well, the delights of a man's heart. He says, I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me, and all this my wisdom stayed with me. So like you were saying, Timothy, this he, he not only articulates all these things here in Ecclesiastes, this is actually documented in other holy scriptures. So for example, 1 Kings chapter 4 um, says, that in Solomon's palace, there was, just get this, this lineup of 30 measures of fine flour, 60 measures of meal, 10 fat, fattened oxen, 100 sheep, hearts, um, roebucks, fallow deer, and fat, fattened fowl. This is just one day in the court of Solomon. Um, he, he had a 13-year um, palace project. He built the house of the forest of Lebanon. Um, he built a house for the wife for his wife, who was also Pharaoh's daughter. He built uh, cities, Hazar, Megiddo, Gezer, Beth Horon, Baalath, and Tadmor. Timothy, I was trying to remember when we went to the Holy, Holy Land, which one of those cities we went to. I think it might have been Megiddo. At any rate, I still remember going to this place, and they said, the Solomon, Sol this is where Solomon's um, horses were, the ones that he would import up from Egypt. So, um, he, yeah. traditional pools of, of Solomon for, for, for trees. Like this is, this is documented um, still in the Holy Land today. And this, it said, three other things. It said that silver and gold, this is biblical, became so common that they came to be regarded as paving stones in Solomon's time. I mean, this is paving how much stones. wealth <laughs> this, this guy has. 700 wives, 300 concubines. The, by the way, this is, this, is, this is what 1 Kings 11 says. By the way, this is something that we may pick up later in the podcast because we're going to talk about a thousand women and there's a thousand women there because um, he does talk about a thousand women later, later in Ecclesiastes. Um, and then just I'll leave, leave this historical commentary aside with this. He owned whatever he looked on and his looks went everywhere. I mean, this guy had it all. He had it all. He and he tried it all. It. And we had like, there's, so we're talking about his credibility, right? And why should we listen to this guy? And 
this is really a second point. We talked about how he should have known better. And that's the paradox of, of hedonism. Like it's, it's not going to work, but we have also have to talk about the immorality, the immorality, like the evilness, the wrongness of, of hedonism. And the only way I can put that uh, is this way. Like, I think sometimes when the Bible, we read the Bible, we kind of get, I don't know. It just, we get comfortable with it uh, in a little bit too comfortable where it doesn't, it doesn't sometimes provoke us like it should. And so I I just want to help people imagine like, what if your, what if your pastor came out and described this as the lifestyle that he lived? I, I used to have a harem. I used to own slaves, you know, um, there was a, in upstate New York, I read an article recently where um, there was an ex-stripper who came, became a pastor and the church grew tremendously. Apparently people wanted to hear stripper preaching and then she decided to become a stripper again. Apparently she lost her faith. I don't know. Um, but to have the, sometimes it's kind of shocking to me that churches even kind of accept pastors who can can describe having a life like this solomon solomon ought, like this lifestyle i'm kind of choking on my words a little bit ought to at least provoke us a little bit because there's a lot of things that are very wrong here like polygamy wrong and the massive scale of polygamy the dehumanization of uh hundreds perhaps past a thousand women flat out gross uh and look he there there's some things that today in eight in, in today's age look at verse seven with circles i bought male and female slaves so he was a slaveholder. i i know in my city that that um kind of it hurts your credibility even even thomas jefferson there was a recent conversation. He's in our city hall as a statue right now. What are we going to do with him? He used to own slaves. Well, here, here's Solomon. And by the way, this is an interesting side comment, but nobody in biblical history that I'm aware of has questioned what we would call the canonicity of this book. It, no, at least for that reason, like that, oh, he's a slaveholder, so it shouldn't be in in the canon, we should dismiss everything that he says. But today, I'm only bringing it up because today, some people might read and be like, oh, I'm done. He was a slaveholder. Or, oh, I'm done. He um, exploited women. And I don't want to pass over that too lightly. It was wrong. It was wrong. But, um, you know, how would you respond to that, Jonathan? Well, I, I think like this, you know, like what, what, what do we, what, do, what do we do this? I, I think, I think that in some ways this can improve the credibility of this, of this scripture in this sense that what the scripture does here is it runs the gamut of both good and evil. Cause not everything that he did was bad, but some of it really was. And what we see Solomon doing then is he really tries 
good and evil. And so that he, by the end of it, can say there, he really did try everything. He really did try everything. And so I, I want to say two things about the evil side of that. The first is this, that all of us are more um, exploitative than we think. And I, I think we all have our own biases and our own cultural blinders. And I think if we lived 100 or 150 years later or before, we'd look at our own lifestyles and go, wow. I can't even believe that, but we'd have to because that was us. And so we have to be really careful about getting on our high horses like um, we're more righteous than, than everybody else in, in world history. We're, we're really not. We just can't see how bad we are. Um, I read an interesting piece. This is sort of an aside, but it maybe will spur some thought that argued that um, in the global economy, we are often all implicated in um, the use of slaves and um, that, that kind of thing. So we can consider the global economy. I don't want to go down that rabbit hole too much. But um, th the second thing that I would say is this, that this is a way to actually kill off the flesh. <laughs> you don't if, you know, somebody out there is trying sex right now to make themselves happy and to feel fulfilled. Somebody's trying. In fact, a lot of people are in our day and age. You know, a lot of people are. And you have a scripture here that says, I tried it and it didn't work. Try again, you know. It, and, and so what this does is it actually kills the flesh. This is a scripture that you, everything that you can try, it's been tried and it don't work. <laughs> and that's helpful. That's useful. Yeah. I'll, I'll just observe this. And then we, some people are chatting in uh, a little bit here um, that this is, this is very pleasure centered. And it's also, I would say self-centered and he, he doesn't pursue other uh, perhaps meaningful pursuits like being um, generous or giving of himself like um, we might expect him to. So he's, he's going to address some of those things later, but I just wanted to mention it that, um, look, we understand this is human beings. Like even as we look at our lives, the most, the most meaningful moments of our lives uh, often are not very pleasurable. So the most meaningful moments of our lives, often the most memorable ones too, are the ones where we suffered for something that really, really mattered. Okay. And, and he's not going to address that here. He's really, his pursuit is really narrow-minded. It's, it's really self-centered. And then to address, um, somebody asked the question, it's a good one. Um, would you consider Solomon saved? Let's come back to that one. And I, I promise you we will, because we've got an answer to that, right, Jonathan? Because um, we want to look at the, should we, let's move to the other side of the coin and look at, let's give four reasons why we think Solomon is a credible 
person to listen to um, with regard to this research that he did. Do you want to start us off, Jonathan, with that? Uh, yeah, I do. And I want, we've been kind of a downer here on I, so I just, far. <laughs> so I, I want to, we, we do need to turn the corner and, and realize we have here in the Holy Scriptures a tremendous gift. I mean, this is just a tremendous gift. What we have is, to, to use technical terms, this is phenomenological qualitative research. They, they are researching the human, ex- he's researching the human experiences. And he, 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 and he shares this experience with us. I think we should all be very excited about this. This is a gift from the Holy Spirit. Um, these days, in order to do um, experiments on human trials, you have to have an IRB, which is um, an institutional review, review board. It all has to be um, closely monitored and all these things. He's a king. So he's a, he is his own institution and he can approve this research and he becomes his own subject of the, his own experiment. So, I mean, this is, this is an incredible, incredible gift to us here with, um, with Solomon. So I, I want to turn the corner first like that. And so four reasons, ready? Go ahead, Timothy. Four reasons. Well, here's the first one. He's the king. He's the king. <laughs> exactly. So if, if anyone he says that. Yeah, it, look at what he says. He's the king. He's king over Israel and Jerusalem. So, so if anyone's going to have the proper access, the proper resources to really see if pleasure um, can do it, can can give you the good life, it would be it would be Solomon. And um, I, I remember I remember a story uh, or a sermon I listened to. On David, on David and his his relationship with women, he had too many wives as well. And the the preacher's comment what went along these lines, and it really stung me. He uh, he said, um, "We're often critical of David and his adultery, um, and the way that he treated women. And maybe this is more towards men than women right now, but." Uh, what if you had access to women and they were, you, you know, you had the looks of David because it says he was a good looking man and he's, and women were kind of throwing themselves at you. Would that become a temptation for you then? And it kind of leaves you thinking. So here's Solomon. He's got access. He's got money. He's, he's going to be able to do this experiment the way that I never could. I, I, I don't have that that kind of wealth. I don't have that kind of access. Solomon does, so that 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 makes him a really credible um, witness for us. You, you, and you do. Here's where it's it's probably worthwhile in your own like devotional meditation to steep yourself in First Kings, because in First Kings you just get you get a picture of of who this man was and how he was centered in the world and. You have somebody as prominent as as the Queen of Sheba coming to visit him and and experience his God-given wisdom. And so you, you just you start getting this, this picture in, in, in First Kings of the lifestyles that he would have encountered, the cultures that he would have encountered, the narratives that he he encounters. And all of this, he has tremendous access to all of these ideas and philosophies and 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 all of that in the world. And 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 yet. He also has the ability 
to stand outside of himself as a third person observer. So that's what I, he's, he tells us this constantly, like he's taking wisdom with him. Today, we call this epoche, where you can, you can, it's an objective point of view so that you actually sort of stand outside your own person and say, is this working? Is this, is this right? And so Solomon not only has access to all of these experiences, but he also has the spirit-given gift of wisdom so that he can objectively view what's, what's going on as he live this, lives this out. Right. So this, this is huge. This is huge. So I, I got another reason why it's incredible. Here it is. He's wise. <laughs> How's that for Open simplicity? Up. Yeah. Look, look at the Bible. Like, let me look at, look, look at this. He, he sets this up, right? Like he, he sets this up. If you look at verses 12 through 17, the whole thing is you it's, it's bookended by wisdom. So he's saying, I, I got, I got wisdom. He says, um, you, you have this theme running through it, wisdom in verse um, 13, um, and in verse 16, you have it uh, twice, and then it's in verse 17. So you have all of this doubling up and bookending of wisdom so that we get this indisputable impression that Solomon, as he goes into this experiment, that he's bringing his wisdom with him. So there's your second reason. That's right. That's right. Um, and before we leave that section behind, I want to give a, a, a third reason. Then Jonathan, I know you got a fourth one. My, my third reason is this, and this goes to that question that somebody actually chatted in, was he a believer? Well, um, and is he saved? The first time, this is so interesting, in the, in, and key to understanding this, maybe I need to change the color here so we really get this. But um, for the first time in the entire book, he actually, let's see where, if I can find it. He actually names God. You see that right there? What a heavy burden God has laid on mankind. So right there, right there. And it's, it's like a ray, a bright ray of, of, of sunlight that's breaking through the darkness in this book. And we, we had to wait. We had to wait 13 verses to hear God's name for the first time. We're going to have to wait for a while after this again. But there he is. He, he's going to invoke God's name and he's going to say, this is God's the one that took of e us e east of Eden. We, we're also going to see, this is going to be next time. We're going to see his faith and justification by faith alone. This, this book is a massive teaching of justification by faith alone. We're going to show you that. So um, yes, Solomon was a believer. He, he was in, he was carried along by the Holy Spirit. That, that's why this book is in the Bible. It not only be any other way, you know, it not only is he a believer writing here, but he is also uh, somebody who is helping other people become believers. You know, we, right. we've talked yeah. about how this is very a very missionary book. But in verse, look at verse 15, for example, what is crooked cannot be straightened, straightened, what is lacking cannot be be counted what he's talking about is the irredeemability of the world like we can't we humans we just no matter what movements or, or how much justice we pursue we just can't we just can't straighten this thing out we just can't manage to do it and it's just crying for god it's crying for god 
And Solomon's trying to put that cry in our hearts so that we do, we do go to God. But there's a there's one last reason we got, and we 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 say it like this: He's he's thorough, he's radical, and he's relentless in his search. We already we already read read this to you, but he's he says this: He says that he's going to view the matter from all sides. That's what he says in the Hebrew, and that he's he's going to do this not just in depth. So it's not just in depth or intensively, but he's also going to conduct an extensive search. He's going to do an extensive search. So it's just, he, he, he does it intensively and extensively. Uh, and that's a tremendous gift for us. Um, there's a guy by the name of Dak, Zach Aswine, who points out just how extensive and intensive uh, Solomon's work really really is here. And he, what he points out is that Solomon names nine categories. And these are actually the nine human activities that we can do under the sun. It's a tremendous insight from Dr. Zach, Zach Eswine. And so here's your categories. These are, the, these are the nine things that a human can, being can do under the sun. And of course, you can combine them in certain ways. But um, they don't increase and they don't decrease. Here's your nine categories. There's jokes. And you laugh. There's alcohol. There's art. There's nature. There's money and possessions. There's music. There's sex. There's affirmation. And there's work. Those are your nine categories. Solomon covers them all. And this this is what this this is my closing comment and just for just to help everybody receive this research that he does and his credibility there's a uh it's a disney flick called zootopia sorry i'm the dad of a nine-year-old <laughs> but there's a there's a movie called zootopia and there's a there's a song in there that um it the title of it is try everything and, you know, I'm listening to this song and I'm thinking to myself, but you can't, you can't, none of us can. We don't have enough access. We don't have enough money. We can't, but Solomon could, you know, Solomon could, we want to try alcohol. Solomon tried alcohol. You know, we go and we, uh, we go, we go get our, uh, what is that at Aldi, like the owl branded out, like that's, that's what we get. And Solomon's like, no, I'm getting, I'm getting that stuff from France, you know, um, we we can we can um, go to a football game to try to entertain ourselves. Solomon's like, I'm just going to bring the game to my stadium at my pot palace. Like, he we we can't do this experiment, but he did it, and we get to see the results of it. Very credible and and worth listening to. That that was a whole big bit on and why we can listen to him. We didn't even say that we should listen to him just because it's in the Bible, though. <laughs> Like the most, obvious, that is the, the most obvious thing yeah because it is god's word and that's that's enough but it's a good way of moving through everything we we wanted to move into really a whole nother part of the text and it's just this that um solomon as he's doing this phenomenological research like this this personal experiential um research he's haunted um, by wisdom. He's haunted by it. And we wanted to talk about a little bit. Let, let me just show you to in, in the actual text. So he, 
it, it, it's almost like it bursts through everyone. It's always just right beneath the surface. And then all of a sudden it'll be burst through. So here's an example of it. I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly. Then he says, my mind still guiding me with wisdom. So there's an, there's a, he's, there's a sense that he's able to kind of stand outside of himself and, and look at what he's experiencing and what he's doing in, a, in kind of an objective way. He, it bursts through again in verse 9 where he says, I became far greater than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. So it, it's almost like his, his mind, and it, it's really the Hebrew word is his heart, his heart. Um, it, it stayed with them. He's, he's judging it. He's seeing if it's, if this is the good life the entire time. And he's trying to be as thoughtful as, as, as he can. And, um, it's a big deal. It's a really important, uh, point here. Right. The, we, to, to take this one step further, you have Solomon doing this reflection on his own experience and sharing with us the results and he he uses this incredible autobiographical genre like he it's 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 wonderful like we okay so like i did this i did this i did this and we call this the pragmatics of, of a text the pragmatics of a text are what does the text ask you to do in your own heart? So that the text is saying something, and then what it does is it is it is it interacts with the human heart. The pragmatics of it is Solomon is is begging each of us to examine our own hearts, to have a moment of epoche, to be objective, and to reflect. He's saying, "I I did this search in my life. How's it going for you?" What you searching for right now? What are you testing to find meaning and gain in your life? He's call. In other words, this is what I'm saying. This is the argument I'm trying to make right now. He's calling you to reflection. He's calling you to what I'll call Christian reflection in your own life. Now, this is a this is a very important topic, um, and there's there's things we want to do with this, and there's things we don't want to do with it. There's two extremes when it comes to Christian reflection. The one, or, or reflection in general, the, there, the one extreme would be you live a non-reflective life. So you just plow forward. <laughs> you, just, you just do. You don't think. You don't reflect. You don't meditate on what it is you're actually doing. The other extreme would be what I call the ruminating life. And the ruminating life is where you, you, you think about it, but then you think the same thoughts all the time. They sort of go in a circle in your head. This is not what we're talking about either. This is a damaging kind of thought life. So there's, you can not think at all, or you can get into rumination. We don't want either one. We want to have a reflective life. We don't want to be non-reflective. Here's the dangers. I'll just run through them real quick. We don't want to be non-reflective. Because I, I got some points for you. Here's one. Uh, we fail to grow. <laughs> we, we fail to grow. It's sad that we can have so many experiences in our life. And God is, 
God is disciplining us for our own good. And then we don't think about it. Can I, can I jump in on that point just for a second? This is so important. This is so important. A lot of people, like there's that old aphorism that wisdom comes with with age. Not true. <laughs> it's, it isn't true. Yeah, it isn't true. I, I have seen and met the most foolish older people uh, ever. Um, wisdom comes with age and deep re- Christian reflective. Now, reflection, we haven't quite defined what that is in a second. But it, it's to... to to sin, to mess up, to do something wrong, to reflect on that and be like, that was messed up. I'm going to learn from that and grow. See, and now, now we're moving towards wisdom. I'm sorry to jump in on that, but wisdom doesn't necessarily come with age. And I think right. people got to get that. Yeah. So we don't want to be non-reflective. It, 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 it got a couple more. And then I got a Boston legal quote for you, that old show. <laughs> but if we fail to reflect, we lose our way. It's kind of like when you shoot at a target, you, you start out kind of going the right direction, but then the arc, if it's just a little bit off, it just keeps going like this. And you don't even realize it when you stop and you reflect, you're able to get back on track in what you originally purposed to do. The next thing is, um, if we don't ever reflect, we never ask the big questions in our lives. Like, what does it mean to love God? What does it mean to honor him? Um, Am I honoring him? What is the purpose of my life? What are the callings in my life? If we never ask those questions, um, we could potentially miss all of them. And so the last one that I'll point out here, and this is really relevant to Solomon's reflection. If we don't reflect, we won't despair of what needs to be despaired of. We'll keep going back to the same junk. And this is so. This is a Boston legal episode. Um, I, Denny Crane said this. Um, he, he, somebody asked him like, what, don't you ever think about the purpose of stuff? And this is what he said. I never think about the point of it. The man who does really gets messed up. So his his point his point is he doesn't want he doesn't want to despair of of because Denny Crane if you ever you know him is he's he's um <laughs> he's a piece of work so you, you we do want to reflect we don't want to ruminate here's the other side of that our reflections can be incredibly narcissistic by the way that's an incredible problem today <laughs> everybody is way too into themselves right now we don't want to be narcissistic. There's too much internality these days already. Um, the second thing is um, we don't want to think about, you know, ourselves. We want to we, we want to guard against trying to narrate our own lives too much because we don't know the ending. We it, we just we just don't only in Christ and in our baptism do we do we know the ending. And we so we have to entrust it to God. Um, there's a really cool quote from um, a, a writer, Mex- Mexican writer, I think. He, he, re- he was reflecting on the Day of the Dead in Mexican culture, a guy named Octo- Octavio Paz. And he says this, tell me how you die, and I will tell you who you are. The point is, you don't, you're sto- you don't know until your story's over. You don't know until the story's over. That's true of any character. And so we, we do have to entrust our, ourselves to God. We don't want to be narcissistic. We don't want to turn in on ourselves 
too much. What we do want to reflect. Yeah, exactly. Like to, to use a really um, stirring and provocative metaphor, if, if all of your reflection, it only includes thinking about your own future and yourself and you're just kind of in your own head, it's not really any different than leaving what the, your business in the bathroom and then kind of staring at it and smelling it. It's you're not going anywhere, right? You're not going anywhere. And Luther really helps us like the different, we, we could call it reflection. We could call it meditation, Christian reflection, Christian meditation has to be different. And it is, and I'm going to read a little lengthy um, block quote. This is Luther on Ecclesiastes. Actually, he said this, this book condemns the, the solicitude and anxiety to be a, of assistance to things, whether public or private, with our own counsels and wisdom. Look at Adam, Abraham, Isaac, and all the saintly fathers. As soon as they began to rely on their own counsels apart from the word of God, everything immediately slipped away from them, and they accomplished nothing. For unless God has preceded men with his word, they accomplish nothing good. Without the action in the word of God, we do nothing. There is nothing safer, more acceptable to God than if we refrain from our own counsels and rely on his word. There we shall find sufficient guidance about what we ought to do. His commands to us are faith, love, and bearing the cross. So it's, he's trying to draw us out of ourselves and to put our faith in the word of God and in Christ our Lord. It, and it's that simple. So our meditation is, is really focused externally on God's word and on Christ Jesus. And look, um, I'm going to read you Colossians because this is just so important to get. Only in Christ, this is what Paul said, only in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So you want to know why the world is the way it is? Who made us the great mysteries of life? We look to our Savior, Jesus. We look to him, the one who created us, the one who shaped us and formed us, and redeemed us, who rose from the dead, who take, took on our flesh, like all of this. This is the wisdom of God. This is the wisdom of God. So we want to keep our eyes there. Christian reflection. You got more on that? I'm ready to do our third part. I'm ready All right, to wrap the, this up. Here's the third Let's part go. now. This is this is this is where we land. We're gonna land things now. And this is this podcast is called Not Far Apart. Now, Solomon, let's see if we can get to this. Um <laughs> this is this is so important. So now we're into the third part of our text. And remember, we said Solomon's making this is where he makes his assessment. He says, wisdom's good. Um, it's better than foolishness. He compares it to light and dark. But then he, there's a big problem, though. It's a massive problem. And he notes it. We're all going to die. We're all going to die. And so uh, he, he puts it this way. Let me read verse 15 and 16 real quick. Then I said to myself, the fate of the fool will overtake me also. What then do I gain by being wise? So he's like, I'm going to die. So why should I be wise? I said to myself, this too is meaningless. For the wise, like the fool, 
will not be remembered, long remembered. The days have already come when both have been forgotten. Like the fool, the wise too must die. And then this is a devastating conclusion. This is devastating. Verse 17, I'm circling it. So I hated life. And this is, this is going to be a funny comment, but what a great spiritual place to be. In a sense. <laughs> well, I'll explain that comment in a second, but I know you wanted to say something about this, Jonathan. <laughs> yeah, you know, he... I was watching a short with my daughter on Disney Plus, And, you know, we were laughing along with it. Great little, great little short. But at the end of it, I was shocked and they wanted they wanted us to be shocked because we actually didn't know what the short was supposed to be about until the end. Well, at the end, they have one of the characters um, ask the question, what is the meaning of life? And then all of a sudden, the screen goes dark. And that's that's what we have here. Solomon asks the question, what is the meaning of life? And then he says, there isn't one. (laughs) The screen goes dark. I didn't find it. Now, okay, this is, whoa. (laughs) (laughs) We just got to let this sink. We we just have to let this sink in for a second and just... Hold, we're, there's gonna, we're gonna turn the corner, okay? We're gonna turn the corner, but everybody hang on. We gotta, yeah, we have to kind of stay in this despair for just a second. And I don't know anybody listening if you've seen the show Breaking Bad, but in the, in the promo, and I stole this from a book actually by Luke Thompson, uh, he, they, they have a poem that, um, who's the Breaking Bad guy? Walter White, right? Walter White, never seen it, never seen it, but. I've heard of it. And this is a poem that Walter White recites by um, Shelley. Maybe you're familiar with Shelley's poems called Ozymandias. So here's the poem. I met a traveler from an antique land who said, two vast and trunkless legs of stone stand in the desert. Near them on the sand, half sunk, a shattered visage lies, whose frown and wrinkled lip and sneer of cold command tell that its sculptor while those passions read, which yet survives stamped on these lifeless things. The hand that mocked them in the heart that fed, and on the pedestal these words appear. My name is Ozymandias, king of kings. Look on my works, ye mighty, in despair. Nothing remains round the decay of that colossal wreck boundless and bare the lone and level sands stretch far away so wow the point is this that nobody even knows who ozymandias was apparently he was the king of kings but nobody knows who he was you you can name you can name american presidents barack obama uh, donald trump joe biden and for a while, for a while, their name's going to mean something. But in the sands of time, 100 years from now, 1,000 years from now, 2,000 years from now, should the world endure, 
Nobody's going to know who they were. And if if Solomon's Solomon, that's that's death. It's the great leveler. It's it's the thing that it it's it humbles us tremendously. And it it brings us to see like, okay, everything is meaningless. We get to that conclusion. I hated life. It brings us it brings us to the end of ourselves. This is the point of 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 that. It brings us to the end of ourselves. And this is where I think it's really worth us turning the corner. And I hope everybody's listening now because this is this is the most important piece here. Solomon knows what he's doing and the Holy Spirit knows what he's doing when he lays down this kind of content. What he's doing is he's bringing us to like I said to the end of ourselves so that if we are um, doing our own experiment, you know, if we reflect on our lives and we realize, you know, I'm just with my career, I'm just trying to build an edifice to me. With my sexual life, I'm 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 doing this. With in in my manipulation or my exploitation of my fellow human beings, I, I'm doing this, and I'm, I'm trying to squeeze out a little bit of life for myself. And if, if Solomon here has brought you and me to the end of that that that's god chasing us see he doesn't ever allow us to find the ultimate fulfillment and meaning under the sun because it's not under the sun it's over the sun <laughs> it is in god so I like to say it like this. In Solomon says we're chasing the wind when we do this stuff, and what I one of my lines on this is in in your chasing, God is chasing you. When it, you chase and you chase and you chase, you're never satisfied. It's not going to do it for you. God is chasing you in that. So you realize it's not under the sun; it is over the sun. Yeah, Amen, Amen to that. Can you hear me? All right, Jonathan. I just want to make sure. Can yes. you can hear me? Okay, good. So this this phrase, so I hated life, and I'm going to build on what you said just now, Jonathan. Uh, one commentator put it like this. I'm going to read this twice because this is really important. The bitter worldly man, Solomon, the bitter worldly man and the man of faith clinging to eternal things are not far apart. I'm going to say that again. The bitter worldly man and the man of faith clinging to eternal things are not far apart. There's our title, Not Far Apart. That's it. <laughs> and this, this is a big deal. This is an important, this is an important thing. Now, this is, this is actually a biblical idea. And do you know who actually taught this? Besides Solomon, Jesus Christ, our Lord, <laughs> Jesus. Thanks for listening to the Notable Podcast. You can check out our other seasons on our website or wherever you get your podcasts. If you are enjoying this ministry and are so moved to support it, 
please visit us at www.thenotablepodcast.com. Thanks for listening.